All right. I'm going to have a seat. Thank you guys for doing that. I hope that lunch plans were made. I hope that you guys go and dine with each other at lunch today and all the fascinating restaurants we have in Knoxville, particularly Shoney's. That's my favorite. Anybody go to Shoney's? Shoney's, as people in the South call it. It's a French restaurant here in Knoxville. You guys should check it out if you're new to the area. Hey, uh, like I said, my name's Chris. I'm glad you guys are here today. Um, thankful and honored to be with you um, and back. I was out for a couple weeks, so it's good to see your faces and get to hug your necks later. If I haven't met you, I'd love to after the service. Um, this morning, our text is going to be John 19. If you want to turn there, 17 through 27 is kind of where we're going to stay. If you've got an app, you can flip there. Um, we're going to have some of that text or most of that text on the screen this morning. So if you want to flip there. But before, before I get into that, um, I just I wanted to share a story with you. I remember, I remember at, at one point when I was 15, I remember realizing the death threats that were made against my life how much danger I had put my family in when those death threats came. And so when I was 15, you know, I was, I was, a, I was an average 15-year-old, but I was a little bit of a troublemaker. Anybody in here a troublemaker? I'm a little bit of a troublemaker, no? Oh, yeah, we got some people raising hands, some little guys, I see them. But listen, I had, I had made some poor decisions, some poor choices, um, hung out with some wrong people, and, and landed myself in some trouble with some guys that didn't like me very much. And so what happened was the, uh, I'd spent time, you know, in the office at school and, and really just manipulating people and people around me, teachers, administration. I convinced an entire, who's a teacher in here? Maybe a teacher, I know we got a few. I, I convinced as a 15-year-old an entire school administration of my freshman high school that all the teachers hated me, all of them. All seven that I had, they all hated me and they were out to get me. Who never believes that all seven of them hated me and were out to get me, right? Now, yeah, Jeff, Jeff's on my team. So, so I, I, had, I was a master manipulator. That followed me all the way through adulthood into my marriage, which ultimately led to, to, led to almost divorce between me and Brandy because I could manipulate, I could change, I could, I, could, I could convince people of things. And so what this did was it caused multiple problems with me and in me, and then I began, that kind of flooded out and went into my relationships with people and I had begun to manipulate and lie and change things and, and, and take things that didn't belong to me and steal to the point where I came home one day, I had an answering machine. Anybody have an answering machine? Push play on my line that was in my house with my, you know, that me and my sister shared. And there was a message on there that said, hey, this is, this is the skinheads and we're going to hang you on a cross and burn you in your front yard. That's what the message said on my answering machine. And so it was really a moment for me realizing just what a criminal I was, right? How much I had, had destroyed, how much I had lied, manipulated, how, how and, it, and it struck me with fear. Like that was the first time anybody had made a threat against my life, the only time, thank goodness. But, but, that, but that, was, that was a moment for me realizing and, and really realizing this whole time I'd been playing this victim card, right? With sympathy, right? I wasn't, a, I wasn't a victim in need of sympathy, right? But that's what I felt like. You know, immediately I got scared, you know, was doing everything I could, you know, hey, praying, didn't matter what, trying to get out of the situation. Ultimately led, we, we moved, our family moved to, a, to another school in town. And so I want this morning to talk about moments like that in your life. That's, that's a moment in my life 
And I want to talk about that for you guys and what, what that looks like for you guys as you, as you look this morning, as we look at this text. Because professionally, um, just, to, just to help you think through this, professionally, we lie to climb the ladder, don't we? We see a promotion. We see a job we want. We see something that is above us that we want to obtain. And we'll do almost anything to get there sometimes. We start to, we start, start to sacrifice, right? We start to, we start to lie, right? With our kids, our kids, parenting becomes, it looks more like manipulation than parenting, right? I'm guilty of that. It's much easier for me just to turn on the manipulation, Chris, boop, and, and, and lead my kids where I want them to go versus trying to show them how they should go. We cheat on our spouses, right? We, we commit adultery, and listen, I'm not talking about, I'm not, I mean, I, physically, yes, but sometimes, sometimes, her name is golf, right? Sometimes, sometimes his name is shopping. These are things, these are idols that we begin to place above God and we begin to place above our families. We begin to place above other things. Sometimes it's food. Nobody likes to talk about food. Nobody likes to talk about exercise. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's gonna be that, self-righteousness. There's a lot of things other than another man or another woman that we commit adultery not only on our families for, but for God. And so this morning, once you look at that, we're not, we're not always the infinite giver who, who, who can't ever receive, right? We're just the, we're people that pour out, we give of our time, talent, and treasure over and over and over and over again. But yeah, we can't receive, we're, we're better than that. We're too good for that. We cheat on exams, students, right? I help out at a school, I serve at a school here in Knoxville, and it's weekly, somebody's in the office for plagiarizing, for cheating on a test, something. We will do almost anything to be in control, almost anything. We become murderous vandals for a taste of power, right? We vandalize our own identities, our God-given identities, right, for the approval of man because we're so fearful of what men think about us. We're so fearful about what we look like in others' eyes that we will vandalize the identity that God's created us and given us to look and be approved in their eyes. The good news, though, today is that all these things that I just said, all those things and, and getting your wheels turned and all those things were redeemed for, or, or were, were redeemed and are redeemed by a cross. And we're gonna talk about that cross today. So the, 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 the good news about today and what we're gonna talk about today is we have to talk about the cross because you can't have an empty tomb which we're gonna talk about in a few weeks. We can't have an empty tomb without a cross. Amen? Amen? Feel free to talk, you're fine. So the, the, the point about the cross, though, the thing about the cross is how bloody it was, right? It wasn't John in our text. He doesn't really address it other than saying they crucified him, but I wanna talk briefly about what actually went on in that. Some of you may already know this. Some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard this. But, but, but Jesus wasn't just beaten, okay? Let's talk about that for a second. He was scourged. Anybody in here know what scourged means or what a scourging is in Roman, in, the, in this day for crucifixion? Scourging is they, they tie your hands up above your head and they lay you out over a post or a table or a stone or maybe on a pole somewhere, right? And a guy comes in with a cat of nine tails, okay? That cat of nine tails is a stick with leather strings attached to it. And on the end of those strings are metal balls or rocks and hooks made out of bone or metal. 
okay? And then they begin to beat you with that. And so the, the rocks or the balls, they tenderize the meat like a, like a steak. And then those hooks begin to tear flesh. Then they placed a crown of thorn on his head. These aren't small thorns, these are probably big thorns. They shove this down onto his head. So all this goes on before he ever reaches the cross, before he's ever nailed, before he's ever hung up. He walks through the city bearing his own cross like that. And they say, scholars say, in, in, in most cases, you wouldn't even recognize Jesus. If you were his, if you were his friend and you, you knew Jesus well, and you could look at him from across the room and say, hey, there's Caleb. I know Caleb right there. You wouldn't be able to recognize him because of how badly he was scourged and beaten. Okay, so he's probably in shock. Lots and lots of blood loss, okay? Most people, they say that when I was reading and researching, most people don't even survive this portion of it. They die during this. They don't even make it to the cross. They don't even get to the point where they're, they're carrying it and they get hung up. They just die. So he carries this. We get the word from the cross, excruciating. Did y'all know that? That comes from the cross, the word excruciating pain. That comes from the cross. So that's what we're dealing with this morning. When he gets there, he tops the hill, right? He gets up there and lay the cross down. And in my mind, I'm always envisioning like, I'm always envisioning like Jesus sitting there saying, you know, just battling, no, I don't wanna do this as they lay him down, right? As he, they're, they're, he's fighting them, right? Because that's what I would be doing. I'd be going, I don't wanna do this. Don't hang me up here. He knows what's gonna happen. But they lay him down and so they drive nails through the, the hands and the feet, nerve endings in the body. Right? And he does this willingly. Beaten, flogged, in shock, bleeding, dying. He does this willingly. And then they pick the cross up and they drop it in a hole. So historically, crucifixions took place almost at ground level. It wouldn't be like me up here on the stage. It would be almost at ground level. They dig a hole and they drop the cross into that hole so they're almost looking him in the face. So this wasn't, I know the depiction that we always see is the cross up on a hill. It was on a hill, but the, but the actual cross was more than likely dropped into a hole so that they were, they were eye level with him. Think about him looking out and what he sees. He looks out over a crowd, probably friends. We know that through the text, you know, John and, and Mary are there, disciples in the distance, enemies being mocked, spit on, right? Soldiers gambling for his, for his garments beneath his feet. I'm just trying to give you a taste of what, what we're walking into. And then the, the, the biggest part, one of the parts I'm going to focus on this morning is he's right in the middle of two criminals, right? He's dropped in the midst of two criminals. Bible translations call them robbers. They might have been guerrilla fighters. Whatever the case was, they're criminals, and the Romans were crucifying them just as they were crucifying Jesus. So this morning, keep that in your mind as we look at what, what has been done for us, what God did for us. Let's look at, uh, let's look at John uh, 19, uh, starting in uh, verse 17. It says, so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. So he's there, hanging between two vandals. He's there in shock, right, in immense pain. Understand, 
he's being stretched out. And the idea and the, the purpose of this crucifixion is to basically keep someone alive as long as possible to endure the most suffering and pain as possible, okay? So he's, su- he, he's hanging there, and the only relief he gets is if he pushes up with his feet so that his diaphragm can expand and he can take breath in. Some of the books I read said that people would just collapse under the weight so that they would die quickly. So he's, he's there, laid out on this cross between two criminals, suffering, dying, bleeding. He's gone from a throne in heaven to a cross next to criminals, from a king to a vandal, just like that, in an instant, right? Now, he lived a life, but, but think about him. He's thinking, to him, that was probably just yesterday. Think about what you had for breakfast yesterday. To him, that was probably just yesterday. Yet there's not a moment on this cross where he cries out and, and wants to be taken off, right? There's not a moment he pleads and said, this isn't my fault. I shouldn't be here. He's silent. Is anyone, is anyone struggling with this? Anyone, anyone in their heart saying, this isn't fair? Like, this guy was perfect. I know when I was reading this text, just his first two verses, I was like, this isn't fair. Like, I want to show up for Jesus to start protesting, you know? I say that. I want to be like Peter, start cutting people's ears off. Anybody else struggling with how, how unfair this seems and unjust? Good. God doesn't seem very in control. He seems a little, little on his heels a little bit, a little bit surprised in this moment. I'm thinking, if your first time you've ever read this story or first time you're hearing this story, or if not, it seems like God's a little bit out of control. It seems like he doesn't have it all together right here. His son is dying. Pull him off the cross, God. Bring your angels down. Let's get this party started, right? Let's do it. But he doesn't. You read in Isaiah 53, it should be up here. You don't have to turn there. I'm gonna read this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Uh, Starting in verse one, going through verse five, it says, who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. God, this morning, I just want to ask, God, that you would, that you would, God, that you would come, that you would that your text would come alive for us this morning, God, that you would, that we would hear you, God, so clearly this morning, that your spirit would just drive a nail in our hearts, God, and pierce us, God, for your, for your grace, God, for your mercy, for the love you showed us on the cross. God, for the sinners that we are, for the sinners that we were, for the sinners we will be, God, that you came, you died, you rose again for us. And in this Easter season, in this this season, this passion season, God, where we look at your story, God, I just ask that we would be broken for you, that we would would see, God, your heart for us. And so this text, I ask, I just pray over this text this morning as we continue. It's in your name we pray, amen. Pilate 19, or 19, verse 19 in John, Pilate also wrote an inscription, put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, 
For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. It's, it's super interesting how worried those chief priests are about this, right? They wanted this, right? They wanted Jesus dead. They wanted to crucify Jesus. That's why they went to Pilate as victims to ask for Pilate's help. Hey, this guy is, 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 is causing problems. Help us, please. Right? That's why they went. So now all of a sudden they're worried. They're worried for multiple reasons. One reason is, is because where they're crucifying them, this is going to be a main passageway for people coming into the city. Everyone will see it. This would be like cruc- crucifying Jesus on I-40, okay? It's like 85,000 people an hour drive by this, those billboards or something, right? That's how many people are seeing this coming in and out of the city. So they're concerned about what the, what, what's, being, what's being translated to the people. And it's written in three languages. Aramaic is a language in Judea at the time. Latin is a language of the army, okay? And then Greek is a language of the empire and well-known in Galilee. So, they're, so Pilate is very, very specific when he does this. But, but, but he probably doesn't realize the truth that he's actually putting up on that cross, right? He probably has no idea. He's doing it because he wanted to wash his hands of the, of the situation, and now he's getting a little bit of revenge to the Jews. He's, he's kind of mocking them a little bit, right? He's mocking them with, with what, he's, what he's stapling up there above Jesus. And so this, this moment, this is one of the multiple times Pilate does this in this text when he mocks these, these Jews. And, and the Romans do this because they, they nail, the, nail these signs typically with what the, the criminal is being crucified for, right? What he did, okay? So, so understand that. Let that sit in, sink in for a little bit. He's, it says the king of the Jews, right? So what's that saying? People, Roman citizens walking by knowing, knowing that that sign represents whatever this person did and why he was killed. What kind of statement is that making to the empire? What kind of statement is that making to the Jews walking by? What kind of statement is that making to the Gentiles that are walking by? You see the specific, specific like meaning behind that. Verse twenty-three. <clears throat> when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts: one part for each shoulder, soldier, <clears throat> also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, "Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be." This was to fulfill the scripture, which says. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Again, Scripture's being fulfilled. We see it. God is not out of control. He's very much in control. To understand that in this passage, he has this suffering in his hand. It has, it, has, it has bled through his fingers onto Jesus. He knows what's going on. He has it under control. But still, it doesn't change the fact that there's men, Jesus dying, bleeding, in shock, on the cross, sweating profusely. There's men at his feet gambling for his clothes, mocking him. So one of my questions, I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning. One of those questions this morning is, what are you casting lots for at the foot of the cross? What are you gambling for in front of Jesus rather than submitting to his mercy and grace. Think about that. So the soldiers did these things, verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, 
Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home, to his own home. Now listen, this, this, this brief passage right here, that's a sermon all by itself. I could, we, could, we could do a series probably on just that portion of Scripture. So I can't, can't unpack all of this. I want to unpack some of it. I want to unpack the, the adoration and care he's showing in this moment for his mother and his friends, right? Think about that. Think about everything I just said, what he's, what he's been through. And he stops in the middle of suffering, worse than, worse than a beast, worse than a dog, right? Worse than any suffering any one of us in here has endured. And he stops and says, behold your son, behold your mother. What does that say about how we should care for each other in this room? How we should, how we should look to our brother, how we should look to our mothers, how we should care for our sisters and brothers in need. He's suffering for them at the time. Understand that. He's, he's suffering for them. He's suffering with them, right? They're suffering. Jesus' mother, who really gave birth to Jesus, right? Who carried him for nine months, who raised him, who wiped his butt, right? Who cleaned up after him. I mean, she's suffering in that moment. He's suffering, but he's not self-absorbed. He's not pleading for a rescue, he could have said anything he wanted to right then in that moment. But he talked specifically to John and his mother. Even still, though, even that deep adoration, even that deep care, right, that we see Jesus stole to his, to his family, right, to his mother and his brothers, right, and in that moment, these guys, listen, they're still criminals against God. They still have sin. His mother still sins. John is still a sinner, but yet he's still caring. He's still, he's still pouring out love. He's still showing care for them, knowing, knowing their sin, right? Knowing what's happening to him. Sadly, Jesus was murdered by criminals, all right? He was murdered by criminals. The chief priests were so desperate right, to, to, to save their feeble kingdoms, to, that he was threatening. Everything he was threatening, their idols, their religion, everything that he was threatening. Listen, th- those guys were criminals. He was, he, was, he was murdered by criminals, and they showed up at Pilate's door as victims. Can we see, can we see ourselves how, how we have murdered Jesus? We see what we did? Jesus was murdered by criminals for power, for control, right? Greed, their identity that's wrapped up in their religions, right? Money, idols, the list can go on and on. But this didn't start with the chief priest. This started back in the garden when Adam grasped for control, when Adam and Eve grasped for that power and that control to to, to know all. And sadly, our stuff today, it begins to sever and get in the way of the relationship we have with God, we're supposed to have with God, right? Things that we want, those things that we manipulate and lie and cheat and steal to get, we begin to make deals with God, and, 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 and then it starts to look like, well, then we start robbing God of glory. We start taking, right? 
And I know I've used, here, up until this point, I've used some pretty strong language. And, and I don't, I feel like some of you aren't engaged in this. I feel like some of you aren't, aren't hearing me on this. And I want you to. I want you to. I want you to get this this morning. I want you to understand it. You may have heard this preached a thousand different ways and a thousand different, but, but the Holy Spirit convicted me this week while I was prepping and praying, right, that, that everyone needed to hear this message this morning. And I'm not just saying that to fill empty space. I'm saying that because I truly, truly believe it. This, this year alone, as a pastor, as myself, as up here before you preaching, I can tell you where I've failed, where I've been a criminal against God. I'm planning a church. I just endured a, a, a three-year process, if you will, a two-year residency process. Then it took me about a year to get through paperwork and an assessment with Acts 29, right? And when I got through with that, that was a, that was a three-day process of, of prying, of questioning, of interviewing, filling out six months' worth of paperwork. And when that stuff was done and I received my, woohoo, you're good to go, you don't think I didn't want to slap myself on the back a few times to say, that's right, I did that, Right? I've done that. But it wasn't me. I couldn't have got through any of that without the power of the Spirit, without God loving me, leading me through that. But I still, I still have moments where I do that. Listen, I'm getting real transparent here. Food is an idol for me. Okay? I struggle with that. Right? I run to food. I stress eat. Anybody in here stress eat? You want to be transparent? I stress eat. I get stressed out, and I'm like... <laughs> What kind of snacks do we have in the cabinet? You know, if I can't figure it out, I'm working on something, man, I'm running to food. I love food. I love to, I love to gather around a table with you guys. I've eaten dinner and lunches with a ton of you. I love to do that stuff, and all that stuff's good. But listen, when I start making that an idol, when I start, when I start putting that above my relationship with Christ, when I start putting that above my relationship with my family, right, it becomes an idol. It becomes, I become a criminal against God. I'm I'm a criminal in need of grace. We are criminals in need of grace. Amen? So where, second question, where is a crime in your life being committed against God? Where is a crime that, 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 that you, and a lot of you are gonna struggle with that. Listen, I understand there are victims in here. I'm not downplaying or dismissing a victim. There are things that happen to us that we don't want to happen to us, that happen to us that are very, very sad, and God is very, very sad that those things happen to us. But when I say victim, I'm talking about when you're playing the victim card, when you know good and well you should not do what you're doing, yet you do it anyway. That is when you stop being a victim and you're a criminal. Is everybody, everybody tracking with me this morning on that? So ask yourself, what is a crime in your life being committed against God? Because thankfully, Jesus was murdered as a criminal. Thankfully, right? Sadly, he was murdered by criminals, by us. But thankfully, he was murdered as a criminal for you, right? He wasn't a victim. He was willing. Like I said earlier, he laid down on the cross. Luke always says he tackles the cross. He tackled that cross, right? There was a willingness about him. He wasn't, he wasn't explaining, he wasn't trying to explain away his, his, the sin that he had just taken on. He wasn't trying to, to, to dismiss it. He wasn't trying to get out of it. He wasn't trying to weasel his way, you know, back into the good graces of, G, of God the Father. He was perfect yet butchered. Perfect. Perfect. 
who was blameless yet convicted. This was an innocent man that was tried unfairly, that was tried unjustly. Listen, if he was here today, we would be outside the courtroom picketing like nobody's business if this was going on. Jesus was innocent of anything, anything. He didn't lie as a kid. He didn't cheat. He didn't steal. He didn't rob. He didn't manipulate. He didn't try to control. He didn't exert power or authority when he shouldn't. He didn't lie to gain his way into the temple to preach. He was perfect, yet convicted. He never stole, but he was a robber. We're all living for something, but Jesus was living for us, right? So third question. What are you, what are you living for today that would die for you? What are you living for today, right now, that would die for you? That would be scourged for you? That would sweat blood for you? What are you living for today that would do any of that for you? Graciously, Jesus was murdered for, for us criminals. Graciously, by God. He came as a baby for us, a real-life baby. Now, this is just the straight-up gospel right here. He, was, he came as a baby. He was sent for you as a servant to serve you. He, he lived among us as a man, as one of us. He suffered as one of us. He's a very, very relational, close God. He is not distant. He came. He felt the wrath. He felt the weight of God poured out on him, and he died as a sacrifice for you in your place so that you could live eternally with the Father. Perfect, yet a criminal. Doing all of this as you're, as you're an enemy to him, as you're hostile to God. He does all of this as we spit and mock in his face, as we mock him, as we spit in his face, as we reject him. I remember, I remember spitting in God's face multiple times. I remember rejecting him. I remember breaking all the laws, right? I remember doing all of those things. I remember just being a constant state of rebellion, right? Nine years ago, cheating on my wife, leaving my family, Yet he rescued me. He died for me. He died for you. He died for whatever has a hold on you. He died for the crime that you're committing against him to this day and beyond today. So is he pleading with you? You feel a tug in your heart? Do you feel, you feel conviction? That's of the Holy Spirit. That's not anything I'm saying. He wants to rescue you. I pray that he's wreaking havoc in your heart. I've already prayed that twice this morning. I pray that that's happening for you because what we see here in this story and what we'll see over the next few weeks as we, as we get to the resurrection is just grace upon grace upon grace that he's pouring out for you, for me. And sovereignly, he was murdered between two criminals. This is the, this is the most, for me, this is the most beautiful part of this story. This, this passage is pregnant with 50 different topics that you could go in 50 different directions and they'd all be awesome. But for me, this is the one 
that just stood out to me. This is the one that grabbed the hold of me and wouldn't let go. He, he died. Thankfully, he died willingly so that we can live forever with the Father. But see, what's cool about this is <laughs> he places Jesus in between two criminals. God has him murdered, crucified, nailed to a cross, suffering and dying in between two criminals, right? So how do you respond to the criminal sitting next to you this morning? How do you respond to the person sitting next to you? How do you respond to your neighbor, the criminal, right? The criminal that doesn't know they're a criminal. Understand? How do we respond to a broken, dying, decaying city that doesn't love Jesus, that doesn't even know Jesus loves them, that, that, that flaunts sin, that flaunts their just arrogance in whatever they're wrapped up in? How do we respond to those people? How do we respond to Knoxville? So, so very close, right? Shoulder to shoulder in here this morning. Kneecap to kneecap in your living rooms, lawn to lawn in your neighborhoods, right? Cubicle to cubicle in your job. How do we respond to these people? You got to give them the gospel. We aren't victims in need of sympathy. We're criminals in need of grace. And so are they. So we have to go to them. Right? That's the great commission. We have to go. We have to go. We're being sent out by God for what he completed and accomplished on the cross. We're going out to save, to help save and redeem a broken, dying, and lost city. Amen? And so today, as you're, as you're working, working through this and, and the questions I've asked, I, pr- I, I pray and ask that you'd go home, you'd read those Look over them, talk with your family about them, your spouse, your, your friends, your roommates, whatever. Just talk about those questions I've asked and see, see what God has for you in that. I pray you don't dismiss it. And today we're gonna sing. We're gonna, we're gonna in a minute, we're gonna worship and have you all stand and we're gonna sing in the, in the, and today, like, understand that I want you to, to have the reverence of what, what's taken place in this text, what's taken place that we've seen. And I want you to sing loud today, right? I want you to sing free. I want you to worship God freely. If you don't want to put your hands in the air, that's fine, but sing. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, even if it's not any good. Sing. Be thankful that God has placed our church in a, in a, in a position where we have men and women that can sing and worship and, 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 and praise God and praise with them this morning. Be thankful for the blood that was spilled on your behalf, the flesh that was torn, the bones that were, that were ripped from his body. Be thankful, the torture that he endured, be thankful for that this morning and praise him because he loves you. Straight up, he loves you. This morning, let's all stand. I'm gonna read this passage as we leave. We're gonna stand and worship. But I'm gonna leave you with this passage. Christian's gonna put it on the screen. I'm gonna read it. <clears throat> it's uh, 1 Peter too. And, and really, God, this wasn't in, my, this wasn't in my, my prep this morning. God really laid this on my heart on my way to church this morning that I should share this with you. So I want to I wanna read this, this to you, starting in verse 18. It's 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 18. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. 
For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, <clears throat> for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, was beaten for you, died for you, was scourged for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. <clears throat> when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to whom the judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Return. This morning, as you, as you think back to your crime against God that you're committing or, or, or something you're living for that's taking ownership of your life, return, submit. If you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I'd love to, I'd love to visit with you. I'd love to pray with you. Luke would love to visit and pray with you. There's, there's people here that would visit and pray with you. And I just ask that you would, you would submit to that, that you would submit to the overseer of your soul, that you would, that you would repent. So when we take communion, it's in the back this morning as we, as we pray and, and sing here, you're going to be able to go back and take communion. Um, get some time alone. That's a time for you to reflect. That's not a time for you to just pass through and get a snack. That's a time for you to reflect on these crimes. That's a time for you to reflect on what you're living for that God wants you to lay down. We do that this morning, church? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, I thank you. Um, I thank you for these people, God. I thank you for, God, the, the souls that are here this morning. I thank you for the, God, just the, the glory, God, the honor that you have um, shown, shown to us through your son. I thank you for the, the beauty, God, the majesty in the cross. God, is, historically, we could have chosen anything to represent our faith. We could have chosen any symbol. There's a, there's a long list of, of things that were better, maybe, in my mind, better than a cross. But then I think and I say, God, there's nothing more perfect than the cross. And so, God, as we, as we look to your cross, as we, as we think about your cross, as we reflect on your cross, as we reflect on what was done for us on the cross, we don't forget Jesus' bloody face on the cross. We don't forget the torn side of him, of his body on the cross. We don't forget the nails in the hands. We don't forget the nails in his feet. We don't forget that he suffered, God, that he, 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 he died, God, a gruesome, bloody death for our sins and for our sake. We don't forget any of that. But then we rejoice in the fact, that we rejoice in the fact of what he did, what was accomplished, that he suffered, God. And then I pray that we take that and we see and we Stretch our arms out, God, to a broken, dying, decaying city, God, that we, doesn't matter what area, borough, neighborhood, suburb we live in, God, there are broken, dying people, criminals against you, God, and I pray that we would have the, the power, the courage, God, that your spirit would embolden us to reach our hands out to those criminals, God, that we would reach out and we would talk and we would, we would sow your love, God, through word and deed to these people. God, this text and passage this morning is heavy. 
God, I don't want anyone to leave here today feeling, feeling condemned, but, but convicted by your spirit all day, God, all day long. I'm convicted. I need your word. I need this passage. So God, I just pray as we sing, God, in a moment as we worship and pray together and we take communion and we honor your son and what he did on the cross, God, I pray that we are able to do that with open hearts, God, and open minds and, and belief in your spirit. So God, I just ask that you would, you would come and change us. God, that you, would, that you would show us how we can be on mission to your city, that you would show us, God, who in our lives we need to reach out to. But God, I'm thankful for this church and I'm thankful for its people. And so I just ask, God, that you're with us this morning as we sing, worship, and pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen.